Well, good morning. It's odd to be joining you this way again. I hope this was behind us, but I've had some recent uh, very close exposures with COVID, and I thought it would be rather tone deaf to come to church right now having been exposed myself, knowing that I would interact with many of you very closely. So this is why I'm uh, speaking from video this morning. So thank you, Christina, for uh, being here. And Irvin, if you're here as well, thank you for being here. And uh, appreciate you guys sharing with Brendan today. And uh, I hope that I hope that's, uh, whoever needs it takes advantage of the information that Christina has in the back. So thank you for doing that. Let me pray as we jump in together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I ask you to just stand in front of me. Will I stand in front of them? And Lord, speak over me. Will I speak to them? Help me concentrate. Help me speak clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when I go to a restaurant, usually the first couple minutes are the worst. It's an incredibly painful experience for me. And so what I try to do is get it over as quickly as possible. It's, it's painful because to me, everything on the menu looks good, and is exactly what I want. And I don't want to eliminate any options. So I, I want to have the burger, and I also want to have the chicken. I kind of know I probably should have the salad, but I'd rather have the pasta. And there's just, there's just part of me that just dies when I think of eliminating any of those options. So when the waitress comes up and says, do you need more time as she sees me studying the menu assiduously, I usually reply with more time won't make it better. Like more time is not going to help me solve the problem. I'm just going to get more stuck trying to figure out which option I'm going to go with. And so I recklessly at that point just point at something and make a decision because it all looks good. I, I want it all. But see, what, I, what I'm saying is, and you can see we're probably where we're going to go with this, there, there comes a point where you really have to decide. And deciding is hard because deciding eliminates options. But what I'd like you to think about at the same time is, what would happen if you didn't decide? So if you're in the restaurant and you're like, well, I don't want to eliminate any of the options, so I really don't want to make a decision. Then you, I mean, what would happen is you'd still have all your options open to you. Like half an hour later, you're still sitting there. Everyone else is eating. You'd still have all your options open to you, but you would be eating nothing. Like you, there comes a time at which you just, you need to make a decision just for your sake. You got to make a decision. You know, usually, usually I, just another example of this, I really love setting goals. And so I, I'm not usually a big one for New Year's resolutions and in the, in the, like the idea of um, no pop this year or uh, I'm going to do this every day or that every day this year and then see how long I can do it. I don't usually make those kind of New Year's resolutions. But what I love is between Christmas and New Year's, setting aside a block of time and just doing a whole life evaluation and saying, where are we headed? You know, do we like this direction? Do we need to go a different direction? And, and really setting some goals. Uh, I, I, I love that process. But just to be, just to be, I mean, I, I've just had a terrible time setting goals this year. I, I've had a terrible time trying to decide 
what I'm going to focus on, what I'm going to work on this year, because everything looks good, and I don't want to eliminate any option. Like, I want to work on all of it, and I know I can't do all of it, but that's what I want to do. But, but what will happen if I don't set any goals? Well, I won't fail at anything. Uh, I, I won't have to commit to anything. I won't have to work on anything. But, but I also won't accomplish anything meaningful. And other people will set goals for me. There comes a time that you, you just have to decide. And this is one of those passages that it calls for a decision. This is one of those passages that you, you really have to decide if you're going to believe this or not. And, and the way it's written, you, you, know, you can read through the rest of the book to decide. But it does call for a decision. I'd like you to think about that as we read the passage, what this text is calling you to decide. So, so this passage um, is where Jesus is baptized. And I just want you to just kind of get a feel for the geography, because this is a real place. And so I took these pictures off wiki, so it wouldn't be like me cherry-picking one picture or another picture. So this is the Jordan River. Um, it's just, like I say, it's just a picture that you can find on Wikipedia. And the next slide is going to be the traditionally, going all the way back to the Byzantine period, where they thought Jesus was baptized. Now, was he baptized in this spot? Well, who knows? Probably not. But he was baptized near there. This spot is near um, Jerusalem, on the Jordan River, near Jericho and, and Jerusalem. And it is, it is a logical spot for John the Baptist to be baptizing people as there's a deep hole there. And it would, it, would, it would just be a great spot to do baptisms. But there's no saying that this has to be the place where Jesus uh, was baptized. So let's read it. Then Jesus came from Galilee. And so you know now, by now, if you've been with us for a little while, that Galilee is in the north. And so Galilee is a region that is circled uh, where it says Galilee. And of course, that's not, that's like I say, that's a region that is bigger than the circle. It's just the name Galilee is circled up there. Galilee um, is, the arrow near there is pointed towards Nazareth, which is in the north where Jesus' hometown, where he came from. Then Jesus came from Nazareth, which is in Galilee, to the Jordan. So I have the Jordan River. It runs uh, down from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. To John, to be baptized by him. So Jesus goes to John on purpose so that he can be baptized. Jesus makes this trip. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So remember what John is doing. John is baptizing people for the repentance of sin. So people have been in sin. They have been going the wrong direction, as Brendan talked about last week. And when they repent, they turn around and go the other way. I like Brendan's analogy of you're driving 60 miles an hour down the highway, or maybe he said 70, or I don't know how fast you're going, but you're going the speed limit down the highway. Of course, the speed limit, not faster than the speed limit. And then you whip a U-E, and you start going the other way. And that is, like, really life-changing to change directions that fast. And everyone in the car feels it when you change directions that fast. So that was a great analogy. And, and so John is saying, 
what are we doing here? Like, I need to be baptized by you. I don't think you need this. So maybe that's my question for you. What, what do you think, why would Jesus be baptized by John? What's going on? Good thing Jesus tells us. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus is it is fitting for... Now, I always run by that next word. It's a really small word, just two letters. But I think it's really important. It is fitting for us, like John, need your help here. We got to do this together. But if anyone could have self-baptized, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus himself doesn't even self-baptize. He goes to John for baptism. Let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, so Jesus is quoting here, I think, from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. So I'm going to read that to you. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. He's at least alluding to it. And this is where uh, the suffering servant, which of course points forward to Jesus, where the suffering servant is giving his life for his people. And we read in Isaiah 53, verse 11, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Okay, out of the anguish of his soul. Jesus, in being baptized, see, this baptism will point to his next baptism, which is a way of talking about his death and his burial and his resurrection. This baptism by John points to his next baptism, and he will go in over his head in anguish for us. Now, why will he do that? Why will he go in over his head in anguish of soul? Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, that's of course Jesus, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Why is Jesus going to be baptized now, which points forward to his next baptism? Why is he going to do that? To make many righteous. How will he do that? And he shall bear their iniquities. So when Jesus is baptized now by John, what, what he does is he submits to the Father's will for him and says, I am all in. I'm going in over my head. Now I want you to do this to me, John. I want you to baptize me in the water. And in doing that, I am being utterly obedient to my Father. I'm going in over my head in obedience to the Father. And by doing that, I am identifying with my people. After all, Jesus will bear his people's weaknesses. Matthew chapter 8. He will give his life as a ransom for theirs. This is what he says when his disciples are talking about greatness later on in the book. He will, when he's talking about communion, he will offer his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But before he does that, he has to identify with us that he takes on our sins as the righteous one. He makes us righteous by going in over his head in identifying 
with us out of obedience to the Father to fulfill all righteousness so that you and I, we won't have our iniquities or our sins counted against us because Jesus bore them in our place. And when he says to John, you've got to do this to me, that points forward to what the evil people will do to Jesus as Jesus submits to a different kind of baptism. So let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John does what you and I do when Jesus gives us directions and he says, okay. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. It's like the veil between the reality we live in and God's reality is like opened up and we can see each other. And behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So, so this is one of the few passages of Scripture where you see the whole Trinity at work. And you see the whole Trinity involved in saving us, in fulfilling all righteousness. So here, of course, you see the Holy Spirit. In the next passage, you'll see Jesus and coming to rest on him. On who? On Jesus. So did God the Father come to rest on Jesus? No, the Holy Spirit did. Did God the Father descend from heaven? No, the Holy Spirit did. See, for people that are like, I don't think the Trinity is in the Bible, I don't believe in that. Well, this is one of those passages that you really have to deny if you don't believe in the Trinity. And coming to rest on him. On who? On Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven. Well, that's God the Father. Jesus didn't speak from heaven. The Father did. The Holy Spirit didn't speak from heaven. The Father did. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God the Father is saying of his Son, This is my beloved Son. I am well pleased with him. As the Trinity rests on him. as I'm sorry, as the Holy Spirit rests on him. So, here's the conclusion that we need to come to. That Matthew is pointing us towards. And that Matthew will point us towards again and again and again throughout the book. This is the conclusion that we're supposed to come to. This is the decision that we're supposed to make. The decision that we're supposed to make is that, indeed, Jesus is the Son of God. We're supposed to come to this conclusion. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if you make this decision, like if you come to this conclusion, there are lots, you know, there are other options. You remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples and said, who do men say that I am? And they list a bunch of options. And then remember, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God of God. Like, this is the conclusion that you are supposed to come through to throughout the book. But if you come to this conclusion, it does eliminate other options. It does mean that you will spend your life obeying Jesus because he is the Son of God. It does mean that you can't live with indecision forever. Like, if this is one of those decisions that if you make this decision, it will utterly forever 
change your life. So count the cost and make it carefully. Now, let's talk about what Son of God means. Because when you and I read that, we might think um, something different than what they initially thought. See, the first thing they would think if a first century Jewish person heard you say Son of God, the first thing they would think was King. And the reason they would think that is because when God makes a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says, I am going to think of your sons as my sons. And so the king would be like the son of God. Like he would be God's viceroy or the, the person on earth that God delegates all authority to. This is why Psalm 2 is like a coronation psalm. Today you have become my son. Today like I have begotten you. And so the, the, they would think king because like here we are. Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 14 This is God speaking of David's sons. I will be with him as a father. I'm going to be like a father to him. And he shall be to me a son. Like, so they thought of their Davidic kings as God's son in a, like, adoptive type sense. Because God had delegated authority to the king. And so that's who they would obey. But of course, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the Son of God in a much fuller, much bigger sense than just king. Now, just king had implications. If you believe Jesus is king, that will change your life. But, but biologically, the Son of God, that lends him a whole other level of authority. So this is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, about Mary. She was found to be with child, from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus isn't just king. He is the king. To which all the other kings had always pointed. He is biologically God's son. In fact. I think it's this idea of king. That Jesus claimed to be the son of God. I don't know how much. <clears throat> they read into this. Or understood it. What Jesus was saying. But at least they knew he was claimed to be king. In Matthew chapter 26, you know, when Jesus is standing before Caiaphas and the council and the, the religious elite, and they're condemning him right before they hand him over to Rome to be killed. This is like the other baptism that this baptism points towards. The bottom line, the final charge against Jesus, from the mouth of the high priest, And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. At least in their minds it meant king. At least it meant king. But we know in Matthew it also means biologically God's son. If you believe that, if you believe that, it will change your life because you will think of Jesus as king and as authoritative. In fact, you know, because some of us might say, well, Jesus was never like, Jesus was always super humble and never, never really claimed any authority for himself. He was just kind of walked around smelling flowers and patting kids on the head and was just really nice, never really expected to be obeyed. And if you kind of have that picture of Jesus, I just need to tell you you're dead wrong. Jesus expected to be obeyed. So at the end of Jesus' longest section of teaching, that we have in the New Testament. 
from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, the very last two lines of, G, of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, after Jesus is done teaching, Matthew records the reaction of the people there, and they're just stunned. They're just floored. Because Jesus taught as one who had authority. He taught like a king, giving orders to his subjects, expecting to be obeyed. Not as their scribes. If Jesus is the Son of God, he expects to be obeyed because he should, because he is king. So, what should we do? And I think you already know what we should do. I mean, we should decide if Jesus is the Son of God or not. And from all the different options that we might have or we might want to pick from or all the different things that we might want to think about Jesus that would be less demanding, the one thing that we cannot avoid is that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And that, if we believe it, if we decide that indeed he is the Son of God, it will demand obedience. It will demand our whole life. It will demand that we point our life at following him. In fact, this is what Jesus said. I mean, from Jesus' own lips in Matthew chapter 28, the very end of the book, Jesus is ascending back into heaven. Resurrected Jesus is ascending back into heaven. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal King. The Father has delegated all authority to him. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples. Disciples are people who have decided to follow Jesus. This is, this is the decision that I want you to make. Of, of all the decisions maybe that you could make, of all the different options that you might have in life, this is the decision that I want you to make, that Jesus is the Son of God, and so what we should do is we should point our lives at Jesus. We should decide to follow him. And, and as I'm thinking about that, for some of us it might be re-deciding to follow him. might be that we've gotten off course. For some of us, we've never gotten on course. For some of us, we might have gotten off course. And this might be a time when we kind of come back to, I've been really distracted. I've really lost my way. I've lost my sense of mission. I've lost my sense of purpose. I've got confused by all the pain and sadness and sorrow and depression. And, and I've just lost my way. This is a time to come back and find your way and say, I am re-deciding to follow Jesus. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision to offer your whole life to Jesus? To point your whole life, to say yes with your whole life, to surrender your whole life 
to Jesus. That's what it means to be his disciple. In lieu of, or because, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. That means you give him all authority in your whole life. Have you done that? Are you doing that? Some of us get distracted by the pursuit of pleasure. The kind of pleasures that go away quickly and leave us feeling guilty. Some of us get distracted by the pursuit of power, trying to set our own self up as the Son of God, where all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us, and we make everything about us. Some of us have been distracted by our past, pain in the past, regrets of the past, or even successes of the past, that we keep reliving that stuff and making that stuff the center rather than Christ. If Christ is the center, if Christ is Lord, he's Lord of all of it. So leave all of it. Follow him. That's a decision that must be made. And if you make that decision, Jesus tells us what the very next step is. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore into all nations. Make and make disciples. Then he says, the next step, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have our baptismal tank up here. We have our baptismal tank up here because on February 6th, we are going to do baptisms because there's probably lots of us that haven't taken that step yet that need to be baptized. You make this step of baptism as you go all the way under the water. You go in over your head in the water. To say, I identify with Jesus in all of it. He identified with us. I identify with him. I am all in. I am eliminating all the other options. Now, in the first century, when you got baptized, you eliminated all the other options. You might have lost your home. You might have suffered terrible persecution. Everybody knew you're a follower of Jesus. When you got baptized, it was a very public thing and everyone knew it. You eliminated all the other options. This is what baptism does. Baptism says very publicly... I am going in over my head. I am totally submerged in this. I am all in. I have died to the past. I have died to my former sins. I have died to my old self. And I am raised to newness of life with Christ. Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to remember that you have been baptized? Do you need to remember that at one time you eliminated all the other options and you said, I have decided to follow Jesus and I am baptized? Do you need to remember that? Baptism is where you say, I'm all in. Baptism is where the church says with you, we believe you, you're all in. And we both say that before God and to God. Jesus is the Son of God, which means He is the eternal King. So decide to give your life to Him. Decide to follow Him with your whole life. And if you decide that, the first step is to eliminate all the other options and receive baptism. 
The next step is what Jesus says next in Matthew 28. So he says, Go therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Why? Because he is the king and he teaches with authority. And so his disciples are his subjects and we point our life at obeying him. So baptism is where you show that you're all in, where you show that you've eliminated all the other options. Baptism, you kind of think of that maybe as your birthday. When you think of like the time that you said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe you might think like that, like a birthday. And, and it's where we can all see that you're all in. You say, I'm all in. You eliminate all the other options. You get baptized. Communion, what we talk about when we talk about the Lord's Supper, is kind of like an anniversary. Where you remember, this, Jesus said, this is how you are to remember. This is how you're supposed to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my, remember my baptism. You know, the one that this first baptism pointed towards. Remember my body being broken and sacrificed for you. Remember my blood being shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember what fulfilling all righteousness cost me. And, and in fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that when we celebrate communion... It is a best practice to examine ourselves, to make sure that we are eating and drinking worthily, that we're not, that we're not making a mockery of Jesus' sacrifice by living however we want with no concern for obedience to the Christ, the Son of God. So this is a good time as we remember Christ's broken body and shed blood. It's a good time to remember that he saved us, and that we are his. It's a good time to examine yourself and say, am I living in utter obedience to the Son of God? I want you to do this because following Jesus is a good choice. You know, following Jesus is the best choice. I, I, Jesus is the smartest human being course he's the divine human being he's the divine son but he's the smartest voice we've ever had on planet earth i want you to follow him it's the best choice i want you to follow him because it's the best choice i want you to follow him because finally you'll have some directions as it eliminates all the other options and you'll stop being lost and you'll stop wandering as you point your life at Jesus. I want you to do this because you, if you point your life at Jesus, you won't end up like John the Baptist warned about chaff. You know, just that husk, that just that empty husk that Psalm 2 says will just blow away in the wind. It will just be a nothing that is blown away. Or that John the Baptist warns it's going on the brush fire or on the brush pile and it's going to be burned. Like what Jesus said is, you don't follow him. He said some really bracing things like you'll end up in the Gehenna, or the hell of fire. Don't do that. There comes a time when you have to decide, and not deciding is deciding. 
So decide to follow him. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that decisions would be made. I pray that while, even while um, communion is being observed, as we think about your sacrifice for our sins, Lord, that people would decide for the first time to trust you as their Lord, as the Son of God, as their King, and as their Savior. Lord, that they would just, just trust you with their whole being. And Lord, I pray that you would help them see the implications of this, that this eliminates all the other options. And this means that they are to learn to obey you in everything. And Lord, just help this be a joy, a joy for them that you have the best path forward, the best way to live. And Lord, help us joyfully set out in obedience to you as we follow you and joyfully receive your salvation. I pray that you would give us courage for next steps like baptism. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you and I miss you.